This morning we're going to take a, a dive back into First Peter. Now, we are at the end of the book. So I want to go back to the beginning for just a moment before we get into the actual sermon this morning and really encourage you to go back over this and at least look at it um, from the perspective of the, the reader or the writer writing in. He says this, beginning in verse 1 of First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I read it so that you understand that as he writes this, he's writing to a group of believers and the expectation is that they understand their position and place in Christ so that as they go through the book and begin to get that idea of of where Peter's leading them and what, they're, what he's telling them, there's a cohesion that happens. That the faith that they have also translates into how they're walking as believers. When we talk about the, the sermon topic, topic today, the plan for spiritual maturity, that's what we started last week. We looked at the first two, but that plan is the culmination of that first couple of verses in 1 Peter. He writes to it and he says, it. let me read it again. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. You see, it's, the, it's that progression that we're talking about. There first had to be an election. Well, God does that. Then there has to be the sanctification. That's the Spirit's work in working it out day by day. And then there's our part, which is the obedience factor. Now, the plan that Peter works out here at the end of the chapter or the end of the book, is basically living that life, that plan for spiritual maturity that we all get to. So let's go back and look at uh, the first couple of these so we get a, a picture at least of really what that's going to look like. Here's what it says in, uh, in our passage. This is chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that, in the, that it, the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the grace of God, who hath given us who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now the, the whole part of that passage is that development through what, what it looks like as a believer, what it looks like to become spiritually mature. And they're progressive. They start with submission. Submission is a hard thing to grab a hold of as, as you are first there, but you, you grab a hold of it because you've submitted your life to Christ, and then submission just follows after that. It's a domino effect. Next, after submission, because we're talking about submitting to elders to, or youngers to elders, prior to that we were talking about elders to Christ, and then so on one to another. Then 
We go to humility. Step two is humility. And humility is another harder part for us. And it says, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And we talked about what that looks like to be humble and, and, and repentant before God. The struggle for most of us is if we'll ever initially submit, the humility part comes a little easier. But you've got to get to that first part where you submit, and then the next part comes. That's humility. By the time you get to the third one, which is what we're going to talk about today, <clears throat> spiritual maturity is about not only humility and all of that, but it's also about commitment and perseverance. And that's what this one is about. It's about perseverance. What does it mean to persevere? We talk about persevering in a lot of things in a lot of areas in life. But what does it mean? It means to keep on. It means to continue hardly through it. It means to brace yourself for the day and to push on no matter the cost. That's persevering. There are some who come into Christianity with expectations that it's going to be easy and a, and a, and a rose petal flower laden path ahead of them. But that's just simply not the truth. The truth is the way is narrow, the way is hard, and to be quite honest with you, it's difficult to do day by day. But what does it look like to persevere? Well, let me take you back into the scriptures and let me show you here. In 1 Peter uh, verse uh, 5, or excuse me, skipping down to verse 8 in our passage, here's what it says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Let me ask you something. If you were out in the wilderness, let's say we don't have a lot of wilderness around here, but if you were out in the wilderness and, and you knew that there could be a deadly animal, that walks around seeking whom he can devour. He's looking for the next meal and you might be it. How cautious would you be? What would your steps look like? What would your pathway be? Would you prepare? Would you put on good solid shoes in case you needed to run, climb, or jump? Would you put on uh, armor or some way to defend yourself? Maybe take a knife, maybe take a gun, whatever, out in the woods because you know that there's something out there that could get you at any moment. Being prepared. You know, I remember back years ago, the Boy Scouts motto, right? It was be prepared. And the whole notion was that you go out there and you're ready for about anything that life can throw at you. So you have to train yourself to get there. Perseverance is there. In part of your perseverance, there's a term that the Bible uses here. It's called be sober. And it literally means just exactly what it says. That means we're not given over to lasciviousness or, or even to excess. We're moderate and temperate. Why? Because if you're given over to, to excess in life, what tends to happen is you let your guard down. And for Christians, we don't have the option to let our guards down. We have to continue to be sober. Now, the second part of that is an action. It's vigilance. We'll take a look at that in a moment. But right now, moderation is where that's at. And as we take a look at moderation, persevering for all of us means not quitting. We're going to take a look at each one. There's a story that uh, was written several years ago about Andrew Jackson. One of his boyfriend, boyhood uh, friends couldn't believe that Andrew Jackson just couldn't understand how he became a famous general and then on to be president. In fact, he said, 
uh, about one, he, he knew several of his friends, and he said one of his friends named uh, John, Jim Brown, who lived right down the way from Jackson, was not only smarter, but he could throw Andy in a, in a wrestling match. He said he could throw him three times out of four. And the friend asking, he said, well, wait, isn't it usually three and out? He said, yeah, but Andy just wouldn't give up. And so by the time the fourth round came around, Andy always won. So Andrew Jackson would persevere through three rounds of getting thrown down and wait for that fourth one when the guy was tired and, and couldn't keep up and, and Andrew Jackson would beat him. That's perseverance. You see, it's not about how many times you get thrown down. It's about how many times you get back up. For the Christian, we're going to get thrown down from time to time. It's going to happen. But what happens when we get to the other side and we, we, we look at it? Are we going to get right back up again? Or are we just going to lay there? See, we have, we have a reason to persevere. What I'm trying to do in this life is to get ready for the next life. I love days like today. It's 70 degrees out here. There's a slight breeze. I get to see all my friends and my family here at church, and these are wonderful times. But can I tell you that this world is not our home? We're just passing through. And sometimes on the pilgrimage through this life, you're going to be thrown down. And God's going to require something of you. He's going to require you to persevere. Why persevere? Because people around you need to see you persevere. They need to see your strength because your strength is not you. Your strength is in Jesus. It's not about you. That's what this lesson tonight or today is going to be talking about. It's not about you. Step three is called persevering. And the first thing there is spiritual maturity comes in through, uh, comes in through persevering through sobriety. Now, what does that look like? Let's look at, take a look. Verse, verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. And then it says, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. See, there's a reason why you have to be sober. You have to not be given into success or, or to uh, excess. What tends to happen for most of us is that we let our guards down at the wrong moment. We think it's okay to let our hair down and to let loose a little bit. You know, I'm often reminded... Hey, any of you got Facebook? Any of you on Facebook? Okay, there are moments on Facebook where I want to say so much. There are very few times I actually go through and write out what I want to say. Now, some of you have a little more leisure to do that. I don't. There are times when I get on Facebook and I see some of the most silly things that you can possibly imagine. I see people who have lost their minds and really don't know what the scriptures say. And I honestly want to get out my Bible and begin to go through and give them the argument that they need to hear and basically just tell them they're idiots. I want to do that in my flesh. But I have to not let my guard down. I can't say what I think all the time. I have to have some kind of control. And if I let my guard down... What happens to my reputation? Now, I'm not saying I'm of any reputation. I'm not. I, I belong to Christ, but that's why I do what I do. That's why I don't say always what I want. 
Uh, there's a lot of times I get on there and there are people who are writing some silly, silly things. I want to write back to every one of those uh, people on there who walk, talk about how women can be preachers and I want to talk about uh, you know, how we're supposed to respond as husbands and fathers and do the right things in certain circumstances. And if I go in there and say what I want to say all the time, one, I'll be the busiest guy just responding on Facebook. But really, what does that avail me? How about I do this? How about I put the things I know are correct on Facebook and let them respond to me? It's better to have a good reputation. I don't want people to think badly of me. This morning is a great example of that. I was on Facebook tooling around, and I, I wanted to let my guard down, and I wanted to just say what I wanted to say and move on. But I knew if I did, my wife was nice to remind me that I can't be all, say what I want to say all the time because it honestly doesn't help me as the pastor of this church. I would love to say a lot of things about things going on in the community around here. And sometimes I do. When, it, when, when I know that I'm, I'm supposed to and I know that God is leading me to, I will say those things. But there are times when my flesh just gets a little riled up. And I do things in the flesh, and I don't want to be that guy. And I can't do that because I'm, I'm your pastor, and it, I can make you look bad, too, as a church. So I have to be soberly minded. I have to be careful. Part of our spiritual maturity is persevering through sobriety. First Peter, back in our first part of a chapter here, or in chapter 1, says this in verse 13. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he with hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You see, we have a responsibility to be sober-minded with regard to the things around us. We can't let our guard down. We've got to stay sober. We've got to not be given in to the excesses of this life. Now, that includes drugs and alcohol, but it also includes uh, how you live your life. If you're given over to those things, you succumb to them. And in succumbing to them, you can't be sober like the Bible tells you to be because you can't be objective. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. See, that doesn't leave us a whole lot of room. That doesn't leave us a lot of room for what we want to do, more for what we need to do. We live soberly, righteously and justly in this present world. But we are to deny certain things, ungodliness and worldly lusts. It's easy, real easy, to give over to the things around us. Trust me, I love creature comforts as much as the next person. I love the idea of air conditioning. Very soon we're gonna need that. And you'll be thankful I brought us back inside at some point. Because we have air conditioning in there. I am not one of these guys who thinks we have to live as primitive Baptists. I want to throw that phrase out there and let that sink in for a second. I know what primitive Baptists believe. We're not going to get into doctrine right now on that. But let's just say I'm saying primitive Baptists in the sense of air conditioning and bathrooms and cushioned chairs. 
I am anti, anti primitive Baptist when it comes to that. I want soft chairs. I want air conditioning. And I certainly like having running water in the, in the church. So those kinds of things, we, we, we love those kinds of things, but be careful that they're not the, the primary thing in your life. If God grants you the ability to get those things, praise the Lord. But don't let them be the thing that drives you into it. We're to live soberly. That means we're to, we're to take heed and, and, and make sure that we respond properly. And you can't respond properly if the only thing you're seeking out here is the worldly goods and the worldly things of this world. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5 reminds us of some things. Verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see, we're reminded in that passage that we, how we're to live that life. I love this verse. See then that you walk circumspectly. That means to walk around watching. You're to walk around watching where you walk. Watching how you walk. And the notion that we can do as we please is a slippery slope. You see, on one hand, I'm a big believer in independence. I'm a big believer in freedom to do as we will. But at the same time, I am bought with a price. I belong to Jesus Christ and no one else. I have freedom in Christ, but my freedom is not to be used as a cloak of maliciousness, as the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians. Why does the Bible tell us that? Well, because we are free, but we're not free to do as we please. We're free to do as the Lord pleases. Be sober in that. Now, the second point under this one today is be vigilant. Now, vigilance is a little bit different. To be spiritually mature, you have to persevere in vigilance. Now that means that you have to, be, it's an action word. This is where you become or do what you say you become. Soberness is, is really the response, but vigilance is the doing. Soberness is how we are. We're sober in our, our mindsets but we're vigilant in our actions. What does it look like? This is a little different. Let me give it to you. <clears throat> it's hard for us sometimes to grab a hold of the truth about vigilance because vigilance means we've got to set a plan in, in place. And for some of us, the plan is a little tougher because we've, we've put things in our way where it's harder to be vigilant. <clears throat> so how can we describe it? What can we do? What's the plan? Just says be vigilant, right? Well, if you kind of know what's what to expect and what's going on, what can you do? Well, vigilance, let's, let's take a step back and, and take a look at the plan. Well, God says be holy. So, okay, we're going to go after the things that are holy. How do we do that? Well, we have to set things right in our life in order to be vigilant. If we know that we have an adversary out there, then we need to be about finding where he is and what he's doing. 
Well, let's talk about it. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. What a great scripture verse for us. You want to stay vigilant? Give the more earnest heed to the things you've heard. Then it says in that same passage, Lest at any time we should let them slip. That's vigilance. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. You see, the notion is, is that God's watching. And not only is God watching, people are watching. Angels watch. They're watching us to see how we respond to God and His call. Your spiritual maturity right here is going to be where the rubber meets the road. That, that idea of vigilance. If I know that I'm going to be out on the road somewhere, I take preparations. I check the air pressure in my tires. I check the oil in my engine. I make sure I've got gas. I make sure the, the fluids are all good on my car. I pack extra water in the trunk. I've got a blanket in case I do break, break down and I have to sleep in the car. I make, pres you know, I make those provisions so that I can be vigilant, so that I can persevere. The notion of us just walking blindly through life is not anywhere found in Scripture. We're, we're to prepare. The Bible tells us how we ought to be spiritually mature. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6 in particular, it tells us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And do all that you can to stand because there is an adversary we have. And the adversary wants to take us down. They don't want us to succeed. In fact, the Bible talks about the devil working against those who would, who would claim Christ. Why? Because if he can bring down the Christian, if he can bring down the pastor, if he can bring down those who claim Christ, then he can claim the victory for himself. Spiritual maturity, though, requires our perseverance in vigilance. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world. See, it's a preparation. What do we love? We love the things that are not of this world. We love the things of God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You want to talk about persevering? How about you quit loving the world and getting back to loving the things of God? See, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are set against you. But if we're making preparations, if we're staying vigilant, we look for those things and we're able to overcome them. But you have to constantly be on your guard. It requires vigilance. Colossians chapter, excuse me, yeah, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated in your, and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Yet now hath been hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached unto every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church." You see, what Paul is trying to get across there in, in Colossians is this. Christ has made provision so that we can have the perseverance. You don't start out empty and have to fill it. He starts you out full, and you intend to keep in your vigilance. 
He starts you out with complete holiness. Then he says, now do those things that continue in holiness. Do those things that persevere through and continue in your holiness. Spiritual maturity means we persevere in vigilance. Spiritual maturity also comes in persevering through steadfastness. Now, what's the difference between vigilance and steadfastness? Okay, so vigilance is a preparation of things to come. Steadfastness is knowing where you are and staying in it. What's it look like? Well, I'm going to give it to you. Here's what it says. Verse 7 uh, of our passage. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Verse 9 I meant. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. If you back up just a little bit, if you see the devil as an adversary, if you see him as a roaring lion walking around, seeking whom he may devour, you need to resist. Now that means to stand fast. I love the term resistance. Now for, for those of you who are history buffs, resistances have been around forever. I go back to the Revolutionary War. I go back even further in Baptist history, in particular in, uh, in Western Europe, where the Baptists were standing against the Catholics who were trying to kill them all out during the Dark Ages. There is a resistance that comes in. What do we mean to resist? Well, to resist means I've got to push back. It means literally to hold back. And to stand steadfastly in resistance means to stand like you're going to hold it back. I love the, the uh, there's a song written in the 50s. Uh, about it's named Big John. Does anybody know that? Are you familiar with that old country song, Big John? And it was actually a pop song back in the 50s. Uh, that's what I've heard. I wasn't alive back then. I'm old, not that old. And there was a, there's a line in there where they're all trapped in the bottom of this mine. And something happens and a rock shifts or half the mountain shifts or whatever. And Big John's standing there and he, and he comes up under the under the or by the pillars that hold up the mine, the sh mine shaft, and he braces himself up under it and holds it up so that the miners can escape. And they all run back to the surface to go get more more timber and more more wood and everything to bring back down to stabilize that that place. And by the time they get or start back down there with all the timbers, the mine collapses and it kills John, Big John. But the idea was he stood stand he stood steadfastly. He braced himself against it. Can I tell you that you're going to have to stand and persevere steadfastly in this world? They're not going to give you anything. But in Jesus, we can stand steadfastly, ready to take them on. Not to the point of, 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 of military action, but the idea of standing steadfastly in Christ and not budging. The notion is, is that we stand in Jesus and for Jesus and not waver. Let me give you some scripture to help you with this. Okay? Colossians chapter 2 verse 4 says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You see, the notion is, is that 
We know in whom we have believed, and we're ready against that day. We're ready to stand with Jesus. And if you're not ready to stand with Jesus, let me ask you why. Is your faith not strong enough? Are you ready, not ready to, to hold up this sin? Are you not spiritually mature to stand with Jesus even when the times get hard? I know they're going to come. They thought maybe that sometimes, some had thought that recently with all the issues about this kind of service going on with the COVID-19, they thought, well, this will give us an opportunity to shut down some of these churches. I heard uh, stories of other churches who had drive-in services where, uh, in Mississippi and places where they were issuing citations to every single person who came and stayed in their cars. And there they had transmitters that would transmit the, the preaching of the Word of God into the radios, and they kept the windows up, and they were still giving citations out. Now, consequently, the courts and some other attorney generals have, have wiped those out and, and not made those valid. There was a, a, a mayor in a large city in the Northeast, I won't say which one, New York, that uh, said that he, if churches didn't stop having services, he was going to shut them down. I'm not about being, uh, about being uh, vindictive or anything like that. Come and ask me to shut down because of a crisis, okay. Force me to shut down because you will it so? I'm not there. I may be the only one preaching, maybe the only one in the service that shows up, but that's fine. I'll do what the Lord leads me to do. And that's all I expect of any of us here. We're to stand with Jesus. Now, we're not to be foolish. And if you don't feel that you can be here for a service, that's fine. I'm not going to beat you up about it. That's not what that's about. But we're to stand when, when, when they come and say, you can't worship Jesus and you can't serve Jesus. And if you're a, if you're a, a Jesus follower, you're a, a homophobe and a bigot, guess what? Push back and say, no, I'm not. You can say that all you like, but I'm not. I'm here to love people the way Christ loved people, and that means to tell them that they're sinners in need of a Savior. For Because I was once one. Spiritual maturity comes through vigilance. It comes through steadfastness. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, you pay attention to that? You only are responsible for, for the conversation you have, for the behavior you have, as it becometh the gospel of Christ. If it brings shame and reproach upon Christ, don't do it. Don't do it in the flesh and in the weakness of your, of your own heart. Do it because it is the right thing to do by Christ in His church. See, you are the church. You are the people of Christ. And because we're the people of Christ, we act on His behalf. And you would not bring shame nor reproach upon that. It's the same way in a family. You don't bring shame and reproach upon your family. You don't do things that would cause your family to be shamed. Why would you do anything like that with what we're talking about here? With Jesus. We don't bring shame and reproach upon Christ. The second part of that verse says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast with one, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is them that it, an evident token of perdition, but ye, to you of salvation and that of God. 
For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It may come down that you have to suffer for Jesus' sake. Will you persevere? That is my hope. Final one today. This is step four. We've looked at all three steps. Let me give them to you real quick, okay? First step is the easy one, right? Or the harder one of all of my guests. And it's submission. Submission to Christ first and then everything else. The next one is, is it comes a little easier. It's humility. It's learning your place before God. The third one is persevering. And now we come to the fourth one. Spiritual maturity is to, be, is to abdicate. Now, what does that mean? Abdication. Abdication is a big $3 word, but it basically means this. I'm to give over. You will know that you are spiritually mature in Christ when you have given over to Him in every facet of your life. Now, here's what the Bible says in our passage, just to give you a little bit of background here. It says, verse 10, but the, but the God of all grace, who hath called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while to make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, God did something that, well, it just quietly can't be described any other way. He's taken the place of the sinful heart that you have and given you a new heart. And we have to be willing to abdicate. Now, what that means is give up. We give up our rights. We give up the will of our heart. We give it all up for Him. No longer slaves to sin and to this world. Now we are the doulos, the slave to Christ. It's a completely different master. It's funny. God gets me an opportunity to change jobs from time to time. I changed jobs a few months ago. Before that, I worked at a job I, I didn't particularly care for. I worked for a uh, boss that I didn't particularly like to be around. This person wasn't a, uh, a believer per se. And it was very difficult to work around them. A hard taskmaster, I guess. And now I come to a job where I, I've got a, a Christian boss, a boss that is a believer. And it's a joy, an absolute joy to work under that, under those circumstances. And I'll tell you that I, I, it's, a, it's a great sermon illustration, but more than that, it's a great testimony to who we belong to now in Christ. You see, I was under the hard taskmaster of sin. Now, the thing is, the hard task didn't come until later. Sin took me farther than I wanted to go. It made me do things I didn't want to do. And when I became a slave to Christ and gave up my sin and gave up that lifestyle under sin, everything changed. My tasks are harder now, but they're more joyful. My tasks were more difficult to accomplish, but they are more ne necessary to my soul. Spiritual maturity begins by abdication through the giving up of our rights. I would love to tell you that I have all these rights as a person, as a man, as an as American citizen, all these different rights, and I do, and I can exercise them in certain arenas. But to be quite honest with you, the one directive that overrides them all is my right 
as a believer in Jesus Christ to give Christ everything and let him have control. Now, what does that look like for me? Well, it means that I don't get to say what I want to say. I don't get to do what I want to do. I do the will of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Acts chapter 20. Turn there with me if you've got your Bibles. This is Acts chapter 20, and this is Paul just telling about his experience. To the, he's, in, he's at the church of Ephesus, and there's, there's been an issue that's gone on. And Paul's about to leave. And I want you to hear it. He says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving with the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnessed in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions abide me. But nothing of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. He calls the, the leaders of, of the church at Ephesus together and reminds them that he was, he was there doing the will of God. And he's going to continue to do the will of God. Now it has to be somewhere else. And he, he tells us this so <clears throat> we can understand the ministry that Paul had was that of the Spirit of God, <coughs> not of men. <coughs> his, his, his need or necessitated the fact that he needed to go and be about the Spirit's business. We have to give over our rights to Christ and let him direct us. The notion that we get to do as we please as a Christian is wrong. We don't get that privilege. Now, if God gives us some leeway, they're fine, but nine times out of ten, he doesn't. He wants us his doing his will all the time. He desires us to do his will. And we need to quit being so obstinate asking for our rights here and our rights there. You know when we should ask for our rights? It's when, they, when they're trying to come and take them. There are certain rights given to us by God. We know that. They're not given by governments of men. They're capped by governments of men or denied by governments of men, but they are not given by them. Those rights we hold, God has given to us. We are to do the will of God first. First. And then the will of men. It's better to obey God than men. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And if you come on Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. Verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 15 says, But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done so, so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. 
For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet I have been made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, and un, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that were without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. You see, he, Paul reminds us, and himself even, that he's doing this not for his own will, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be our motivation. Spiritual maturity, the end result is an abdication of your own self-will and your own self-righteousness. Here we come to it, spiritual maturity, by abdication through the giving up of your will specifically. Romans chapter 8 verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. See, it's not about us. It's not about what we're doing. It's about what we're doing in Christ for him and his sake. 2 Corinthians 12 5 says, Of such a one I will glory, yet not of myself I will not glory, but in my affirmities. For though I will desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think me above that which he seeth me to be, or heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You see, Paul's like most of us preachers. A lot of us have been given a thorn in the flesh to remind us of humility to remind us that we're not all we're cracked up to be. Sometimes we need that. And praise the Lord for those moments. Can I tell you though, you want to be rid of it because you think you can handle it, but God gives it to you anyway so that you make sure that you're not more than you think you ought to be. We need to give up our will. Thirdly, spiritual maturity requires abdication through the giving up of your heart. I would love to tell you that abdication of the heart is an easy thing. It's not. It's one of those moments when you come to realize that if, my, if the desires of my heart are not what Christ's are, then I need to get rid of them and give it over to Him. That's a hard thing. Listen to this passage from Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul writing in chapter 3 of, of Philippians. It reads this way. Finally, my brethren... Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the, <clears throat> we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh <clears throat> that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning the zeal, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, <clears throat> which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted for loss, loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things loss, but for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Boy, you read it, and you just are, are humbled by the Apostle Paul. If there were anybody who could claim a spiritual right to glory, it's Paul the Apostle. Circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law says. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. A teacher of the law. He was the one that had zeal that was boundless. He, he had no blame under the law of Moses. If anybody had right to glory, it was Paul. But Paul says, no, I can't take any credit for that. I can't glory in any of that. What I have to glory in is Christ alone. There's nothing else I have that I can glory in. Let me ask you today, what are you glorying in? Are you glorying in the fact that you're wealthy? Are you glorying in the fact that you're healthy? Are you glorying in the fact that you're spiritually better than somebody else? How about we glory in the fact that Christ Jesus is Christ Jesus? And he's came to seek sinners and save them. And he saved us by grace through faith. Spiritual maturity comes. And it, it's, it's a way. This, this way in which we learn today, or over the last couple of weeks, this plan for spiritual maturity is just that, a plan. But it doesn't work unless you go through it. It doesn't work unless you apply it. It doesn't work unless you're willing to submit yourselves, to become humble, to persevere, and willing finally to abdicate even your heart that you might gain Christ and gain His reputation. My prayer for you is that you take on a plan for spiritual maturity. That's our plan for the church, that we as, as elders in the church are, are teaching that idea of spiritual maturity. We're trying to become more spiritual, uh, spiritually secure and spiritually mature in the way in which we go and do things. We ask you guys to follow us as we follow Christ. That's my prayer for you today. Paul fin or excuse me, Peter finishes up chapter 5 here, and I want to give you just the closing as kind of the epitaph, if you will. It says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother under you, as I suppose I've written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein we, you stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Peter closes out his letter, much like he did the opening of it, reminding us that our place is in Christ and that everything ebbs and flows through him. Be reminded, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for this time where we can come together. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Help us to, Lord, become more spiritually mature, to take these thoughts captive and to bring them under subjection of Christ that we might become spiritually mature beings in you. 
that we no longer seek ourself or seek the world's good, but we're looking for and persevering towards the coming day of our Lord. And that, Lord, we might be hope to the hopeless around us, expressing Christ to them that their need is salvation through a Savior, full and free. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.